0: Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to set this over here. All right. Let us get into our lesson. We're going to continue our lesson called Mystery, our series. And. Today, we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter two. Just the first, uh, just the first half of Ephesians chapter two. And I'm going to read I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to get into our points. Let's read, oh, this, this part is called. Grace, faith, and works. Grace, faith, and works. This is like a a very famous passage of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it is a beautiful gospel message. It is a beautiful explanation from Paul to the Ephesians church about This aspect of, like, we are saved by grace through faith. And so let's read it. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. Now, remember the first time I I talked about how Paul will say, like, us and you? This is everybody, and he makes that pretty clear right here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in love <laughs> nope that's all weird God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. let me see if this will cooperate again. All right. So that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite passages. I'm going to try to explain three parts of this. And uh, I'm just warning you now, I like my metaphors. I like my analogies. I'm going to use a couple of them. I'm trying not to mix them up and make them too complicated. But I'm going to use multiple analogies to show and demonstrate this, okay? Have grace with me if it starts to get a little confusing. My first point is saved by grace. What does it mean to be saved? And what does it mean to be saved by grace? Now, good Christian Midwestern Americans, when I say I'm saved... Man, that word carries a lot of baggage. Doctrinal baggage, theological baggage. Most people, if I said, what are you saved from? They would give me one of two answers. The big one is, you want to take a guess? What's the big one? Hell. You're saved from hell. Uh, if, you, if you go upstream just a little bit from that, Another one would be you're saved from the consequences of your sin. You're forgiven of your sins. That's what it means when you're saved. You're forgiven of your sins. But we have taken that word and we have defined it as a a religion. It's a religious term now. You're saved. But literally... Paul is using this Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament. Jesus uses it. It really just means rescued, uh, sometimes redeemed. Sometimes it just means helped. And so I want us to look at this verse. What does Paul say you're being saved from? Let's look. He says, like the rest We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul mentions a couple things. He says, you were dead, this is back a couple verses, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul, nowhere in this verse does he mention heaven or hell. Now he mentions that we were deserving of God's wrath. He mentions that uh, God bought us. We were dead and we were alive. But Paul is, it has this in the, much more in the present tense. Present and past tense. Like you were, you were like this and now you're like this. And he's not trying to sell them on something in the future. Necessarily. Now I'm not saying he doesn't talk about heaven. But he's saying, the way that you used to live was corrupt. It was on the path towards death. And now you're on a life-giving path. You've been rescued from that path. And now you're on this new path. You were saved. And it's, it's much more practical than just, hey guys, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Does that make sense? And yet when I say I'm saved, typically what that means is I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. But I want us to appreciate what Paul is trying to get us to see about this life and how we can live a redeemed, rescued life here. And it's not just about heaven and hell. Here's, Here's one from 1 Peter. I love this. Peter writes this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Again, doesn't mention heaven or hell. He's talking about salvation in the, you had had an empty way of life that was what we inherited from our ancestors, and now you have a new inheritance. You're going to inherit a new living way of life. And the reason why I wanted to start here is I think if we can shake off some of the baggage that comes with the word saved, it'll actually help us appreciate the grace that we're going to talk about. But I got one more for you. Here is, oops, no, I want to go back. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, it's not trying to sell them on a future prize of heaven. It's trying to say, before you had no relationship with the creator of the universe. Your relationship status was non-existent or complicated. Now, you are in a covenant relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. And so my question for us is, when we think of I'm saved, do we jump right to... I want to be forgiven of my sins, or when I die, I want to go to heaven, or sometimes it's when I die, I don't want to go to hell, or can we appreciate that we're being invited into a relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God, regardless, like, that that alone is beautiful. Saved is not about a prize waiting for you when you die. Do you get one? Yep, and it's awesome, and I can't wait. But, but being rescued from that empty way of life is about a tangible covenant relationship that I get to share with God now. Do we, can we appreciate that? So you guys remember this picture? I did a, I did a lesson about the, the USS Pendle the SS Pendleton who, that sank It's based, uh, the movie The Finest Hours is based on this. And if you don't remember that or you weren't here, I'll probably redo it at some point because it's one of my favorite sermons ever. But this is a, a picture, a painting of like what they described it as. And so there's the rescue boat and then there's the guys on the boat. They're doing miraculous work trying to keep from dying in the ocean While the Pendleton is in the background and guys are climbing down the ladder and then they have to jump off the ladder. It's not like they just stepped into the boat. They had to jump into the North Atlantic off the coast of Maine and then be fished out of the ocean with a life preserver. It's fascinating. What do we mean when we say we're saved by grace? That boat was sinking. Every guy on that boat had a destiny that was death and then a rescue boat came they didn't call sos they couldn't the radio was gone they couldn't communicate they couldn't ask for help they could do nothing to earn the help the four guys on the the little boat the the coast guard guys they could have died easily they everybody thought they were gonna die and yet for some reason bernie who's the the captain Or the coxswain, he was like, "We have to go out." He decided it was worth it to go out into the ocean and rescue those guys. Grace is like that motivation for those guys to go out. There's nothing that the guys on the boat could do to earn the rescue. There's nothing that the guys on the boat could even do to to ask for the rescue. They literally were dead in the water and a rescue boat showed up. And it's a beautiful example of we are saved by grace. Could they have done anything to improve their odds? Nope, everything was stripped from them. Why did the boat go out? Because they just decided to. And when we read the word grace in the Bible, what we're reading is is the word favor. Favor. It's just my, God's choice to have favor on you, and he rescues you. And so, it's not, sometimes we, we think it's like, oh, you don't deserve it. That's actually not the word. It's, it's just favor. It's not, it's not unmerited favor. It's not, you know, anything like that. It's just, God decided, I'm, I'm going I'm to have favor on you and rescue you. That's it. And like us, we are like that boat. Our life, our empty way of life that is handed down by our forefathers is like living on a sinking ship. Now we can make it as good as we can, as we want. We can can try to have a good time here and that's fine. But we're headed towards death and destruction and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do that will earn... Rescue from that empty way of life—it's impossible. And there's all sorts of like analogies of like when you get, you know, I'm, I'm not a believer in the pearly gates and Saint Peter there with the the book and all that, but like when you get there, you can't talk your way in, you can't arm wrestle your way in, you can't convince him, you can't circumnavigate, you can't jump over the fence. There's there's nothing you can do. To get into heaven. There's nothing you can do to improve your odds in terms of earning that salvation. And you might even be thinking now, well, like, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about that? I'm telling you, none of that improves your odds at all. Because you are only saved by grace. God reaching down and saying, I have favor on you. But there's more. It says more than that. So here's my question. Am I grateful for what I've been saved from? And I think we need to do a lot more thinking of this. What is the empty way of life that is handed down from my forefathers? For me, it is very vivid, because I lived it for a while and embraced it. And relished in it, and it almost destroyed me. For some people, maybe you grew up going to church, and it's like, I've always been like this. I'm a good person. And so it's not as vivid. But I think you should talk to people. Talk to people and ask them what their testimony is, what, what's their story, What were they saved from? And be grateful. Those of us who are saved. And then, do I recognize that it's only by God's favor? The gospel message is simple and it's slightly terrifying because of this. That there is nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn anything. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. And we have to embrace this. Now he goes on to say some stuff, but we have to Embrace this. We are saved by grace, period. And then he goes on to say, through faith. Now, what does that mean? That we're saved by grace through faith. Well, let's read it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. By grace through faith. By grace through faith. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the boat picture. This is analogy metaphor number one. The sinking boat. Those guys, so God is like the boat, and He's coming to them and He's saying, You know, I'm here to rescue you. But those guys have to do something, and that something is I have to jump into the water and grab a hold of the life preserver. I don't think anyone in this room has that much faith. <laughs> to jump into the pitch black atlantic north atlantic ocean it was freezing cold it was february jump into the ocean and then swim like grasp at a life preserver in the dark how much faith does that take and jesus christ is that life preserver jesus is that thing that God is like, hey, here's my guy. Listen to him. He is the way that you get to me. Faith in Jesus Christ is like the life preserver being thrown to the men in the water. God is asking, do you want this rescue? And every person, all of you and every person a lot, has the authority, they have the power, they have the agency, they have the choice to say, no thank you, I do not want that rescue. But the way we take God up on his offer is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he died for us and he was raised from the dead. Now here's Jesus explaining that to us. In John 14, he goes, he has a little thing about this, which is awesome. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on and says this, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And so we are saved by God's favor. He reaches down and he saves us. But he himself throws this life preserver. It's like, do you want me? Do you want to be rescued? That comes through the, my son, Jesus. There's nothing, there's another way to say it, there's nothing we can do to earn God's redeeming power, but there is something we can do to reject it. And that is to reject his son. Reject Jesus. And that is maybe more nuanced than we are comfortable with. We are saved by grace, unlimited, passionate love that you cannot jeopardize at all. And yet, it comes through faith in Jesus. You might be like, the question that I asked when I was a kid, well, why? Why can't you just save me for, just to save me? And if I were God, that's probably how I would do it. I'm just going to save everybody. But all I can tell you is I live in submission to the Scriptures and the Word of God, and this is what it says. Jesus says, you can't get to the Father except through me. And then that, that begs a very important question for us. And that is, am I putting my faith in Jesus? And you might be like, well, I'm here, aren't I? But this, this deserves to be said. Church attendance is not the same as faith in Jesus Christ. You can, you can come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life and not jump into the water at the life preserver. And for me... We'll get into this when we talk about the next analogy. But I think, I think Jesus said, there is a judge who will judge. And I have to live as though I will be judged. And I don't think he's going to judge, did you do enough? I think it's going to be, he's just going to look at your heart, and he's going to go, that's faith in Jesus right there. Do I have a heart that God will look at and judge as faithful? All in. Jesus is Lord. But sometimes we can substitute this for just like an emotional yearning. Like if I just feel like, uh, enough, that's faith in Jesus, right? So I want you to ask yourself, like, does God look at my heart and say, that guy or that woman has put their everything into my son? Am I putting my faith in Jesus? Now, is there anything you can do that will give you a leg up and make God, like, love you more? No, there's not. And that's where we're going to talk about works. Works, guys. Works. Let's read what it says, and then we're going to break some stuff down, okay? This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, he's saying, under Old Covenant Torah law, you obey enough, God gives you favor. You disobey, God withdraws favor. So there was this idea of earning your relationship. Saying that is not the case. If that was the case, you could be a super spiritual awesome person and look down on everybody else and be like, well, God loves me more because I do more. And he's, that's exactly what he's saying. You cannot do that. You cannot obey your way into being loved more. Why? Because we're saved by grace. But now here's what's really, really confounding about this passage. Is that he says, not by works... And then a sentence later, he says, so that we can do good works. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so, we are saved by grace through faith, for good works. That's the purpose. We were created in Christ to do good works. What does that mean? And not only just to do good works, period, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a list of stuff. He's like, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, you could do... Now, that's on the tail end, which is what we're going to get at right now, okay? The question, though, is do you believe this? That God's plan for your life is to serve, accomplish things, demonstrate things, love people. That's his plan for you, and that might be why you are created, but it's not how you're saved at all You guys okay? You guys are super quiet. <laughs> Saved by grace through faith for good works. So here's an example. Here's my analogy number 2. We're not going to use we're not going to use specific numbers to embarrass my children, but <laughs> our kids have some chores. Sometimes they're good at them, sometimes they're bad at doing them. But sometimes, like, not, not ever anymore because he has a job now, but back in the day that we'd give him allowance, Freddie will still give an allowance too. But the kids have a chore list, and that is things that they are supposed to do to earn an allowance. Does that make sense? So, let's say their chore list is you have to mow the lawn, you have to clean out the cat litter, and you have to clean your room. And if you don't do those things, you don't earn your allowance pretty typical allowance system. (laughs) Getting called out right now. So there's a chore list. But then I, as a parent, I have a checklist before I dole out the money. I ask, well, did you get your chores done? Because if you didn't, then I'm not going to give you the money. And then I have some other things like, did you do your homework? If you didn't, you're not going to get your allowance. And then are you like a happy person in our family? Like, do you need to get your attitude right? Are you, are you mean? Are you, are you yelling? Like, because then you don't get your money if you have a bad attitude. So let's say, kids' chore list checked off. My checklist checked off. I give them 20 bucks. That's not anything we ever gave our boys as an allowance, but let's just say it's 20 bucks. And then, and then, we have a shopping list, an approved list of items that I think as a parent you could spend your money on. If they said, you gave me 20 bucks, I'm going to go buy $20 worth of like now and laters for a penny and I'm just going to get a big bag of them and sit on the couch and eat them all. I'd be like, that is an unwise use of your allowance. So I'm going to say no to that. I have veto power over your shopping list. But let's say you, your friend has a birthday party and you want to give him a gift. That's a great use of your money. You can buy a snack. You can buy a treat. Let's say you've got the Scholastic Book Fair coming up and you want to roll in there like, like a millionaire. You're going to get your posters and your books and bookmarks and all that stuff. And then maybe you should set something aside. You could save it. And that's my approved shopping list. I'm going way too long on this analogy. But here, here's, what, here's why I'm saying this. When it comes to our salvation, there is no chore list. There is no chore list. There's nothing you can do that is going to earn this covenant relationship with God. It's impossible to earn it. But God does have a checklist. And the checklist is, do you have faith in the one I sent? Are you jumping off the boat and grabbing the life preserver? Because if you're not, if you're not going to listen to that guy, you don't want this. Jesus said that multiple times. And what is the allowance? Is it when you die, you get to go to heaven? No. It's that you get to be in a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe. That should be enough. You also are forgiven of your sins. You also get eternal life. But the relationship with God should be enough. And then God has a shopping list for us. the shopping list is the good works. But sometimes we can mess this up in our brains or in our hearts or in doctrines. But this is the gospel message. There is no chore list. The checklist has one thing. Do you believe in Jesus? The allowance is I get a covenant relationship with God and then the shopping list is man I'm gonna I'm gonna keep living my life doing the things that God wants me to do. On the boat, here's what that looked like. The chore list was nothing. They could do nothing to earn this rescue. The checklist was, did they grab the life preserver? Before we start pulling it in, did they grab it? And then we can start pulling them in. To the rescue boat, that's what's awesome. And then the shopping list is, they, got, they had a boat full of guys that had to get back to the harbor. We all got to work together to get back home. Now, here's a couple ways that we can screw this up, okay? We can have a chore list full of good works. I have to be good, or God won't love me. And I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this, or God won't love me. And then God's checklist is, are they good enough yet? Have they earned my, my love? And then we reduce that allowance into, hey, life sucks, but when you die, you will get to go to heaven. So, cheer up. And we ignore the relationship with God. It's just a far-off, distant promise. When you die, pearly gates await, and it'll be fine. And then the shopping list is just like, just show up to church, man. Just come to church. <laughs> church attendance. To me, this is one of the grossest forms of religiousness. And, and try, try sharing the good news of Jesus when this is your gospel message. No one wants this. Now, there's another, another way we mess this up. Which, uh, it, it also bothers me. And it's this super redu- reduced, there's no chore list and there's no checklist. We get everything and we don't have to do anything. This is dangerous. James calls this a dead faith. Because we can get so rebellious, that's why I put works in quotation marks, because there's some baggage, there's some baggage with even the word works. We can get so rebellious against the idea of good works that we water down the gospel to erase that. And if I say, hey, we are created to do good works that God has prepared for us in advance, and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, not, I'm saved by grace, not by works. I'm like, well, of course. Duh, I didn't say you were saved by works. I said God has works ready for us to do. Now that we're saved, well, no, 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 it sounds like a, sounds like a works-based doctrine or theology. I'm just trying to, it is not. It is just what the scriptures say. We are saved by grace. How do we get that? Through faith. And then what? Then God has a great plan for your life that you can go forward and bear his image, demonstrate his love, show people who Jesus was. But how do we do that? We do that through stuff and actions and words and things that we do, we live. And those are good works. If you say a prayer and invite Jesus into your heart, but you never make him Lord of your life, You still follow the ways of this world. You are still gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following its evil desires and thoughts. You are still trapped in the empty way of life handed down by your forefathers. I'm sorry to tell you, you are not saved. You have not been rescued from anything. So this is the dangerous doctrine of Rebellion against the idea of works. So here's a question. And I think this is maybe grammatically incorrect, so forgive me on this. But I want us to ponder this. What good works was I created for and have been prepared for me? It's just a brainstorm. What good works was I created for and have been prepared for me? Knowing that your labor and effort doing good works for the rest of your life will not get you any more of God's love because you can't increase. His his love dial is turned all the way up already and nothing... we're, We're so dumb when we think that, oh, I can be so much better and make God love me more. So... So then why do we do it? If I already have everything. And that is what I call a selfish salvation. What is, what is the minimum amount of effort that I have to put in so that I'm forgiven of my sins and I'll go, I'll go to heaven when I die? What do, when do I get my prize? And, and then that's all I have to do. So what is on your shopping list? And again, church attendance doesn't count. Hopefully you like coming to church. If you don't like coming to church, guys, don't come. To, I don't care. Like I I don't control you. Just you don't have to be here. Hopefully you like being here. I wrote down a few ideas. For myself, these are the things I think of the good works that I was created for and have been prepared for me, one of them is the Jesus character. Developing my character so that it looks like that of Jesus. That's the fruit of the Spirit, which are, if you need a refresher from Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those Being demonstrated in my life is a good work. You don't think it's work? Try it. It's a lot of work. A character of humility? Well, I don't think humility is a good work. Try it. It's a lot of work. The Jesus character is on my shopping list. There's lifestyle works like service, like meeting needs, like hospitality, which is loving the stranger. Generosity, and sharing what Jesus has done for you to other people. Those are lifestyle things. Does any of them get, earn you heaven? No. I hope, I hope I've said that enough that we got, we got it. And then there's another category, which is like goals and ambitions. Loftier things, not the day-to-day. Like, man, I want to lead something. I want to do something big. I want to maybe go on a mission trip. Or I want to, you know, be in a, go on a church planting team. Or I want to be in the ministry someday. Or maybe it not, has nothing to do with church or ministry. Maybe it's, I want, to, I want us to adopt someday. I want to build something that will last. And there's lots of examples like that. But those are just some examples of things that are like on my shopping list. Where God has said, I've given you this amazing gift. And the gift is a relationship with him. And the question is, how are we going to use that? And I'm going to use it doing stuff that shows people who Jesus and God are. But what is your good works that you were created for? What are the good works that have been prepared since the beginning of time for you to do. Guys, thanks for hanging in me. That went, that went long. I'm, I apologize. But this is the gospel message. This is the gospel message of Christ's sacrifice for us. That the mystery has been revealed. We're going to take communion here. As we take communion, I want us... A big thing on our hearts should just be gratitude. It should be, we should thank God for his grace. We should thank God for his favor. We should thank God for the rescue boat. We should thank him for Jesus. That he gave us a way to appeal to that grace. We should thank God for Jesus who gave his life on the cross for us. And then we should think about moving forward in life. As a rescued person. A life of good works. And then ask, in what ways am I still following the ways of the world? How am I still gratifying the desires of my flesh? And then just, if you're visiting with us, I'd love if you reach out and study the Bible and show you guys this more in depth and dig deeper. Amen. Let me pray and then we will take communion. God, thank you so much for your grace that is unearnable, unshakable. There's nothing we can do to pull it closer.